0: Good morning. People actually clapping in a worship service at the crossing. That's great. I like it. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. This morning, we're going to finish our series in the book of James. And it's kind of sad, I think, because James has been such a great book, a very practical book, as he tells us. For example, how to handle trials, uh, how to handle temptation, how to handle suffering. He he deals with the very practical issues of life. And and I think it's very fitting at the very end of his letter, as we're going to see, he finishes by talking about prayer. And I don't think that's by accident. See, James is telling us that maybe the most important thing that we can do Living in a fallen world is to pray, but we so seldom do. You know, I recently came across a survey that was taken at a Christian conference. There were 17,000 Christians there, and they were asked the question, how many minutes a day do you spend in prayer? And it's sobering that 90% said that they spend less than three minutes a day. Another 2,000 pastors We're asked the same question, and they didn't fare much better. It kind of seems like we really don't believe in prayer. It kind of reminds me of the story of the liquor store, the pub that was built right next to a church. And the Christians told the owner of the pub that they were going to pray for God to intervene and to wipe it out. And the very next day, a thunderstorm happened, and lightning struck the pub, And it burned down. And so the pub owner took the Christians to court saying it was their prayers that caused the lightning. And so what did the Christians do? Well, they hired an attorney and said that they weren't responsible. And the judge in the case said, you know, I'm not sure how I'm going to rule on this one. But one thing I do know, the pub owner believes in prayer and these Christians don't. But let me ask you, think about your own life. You know, when you're facing things in life that you never thought you would face, you know, we're facing some trial, where do you run? What, what do you do? Do you ever pray? Or conversely, when life is going well, when you're aware of how God is blessing you, many good things are happening to you, do you pray during those times? More often than not, as I think about my own life, the answer is no. We rarely pray. Why? Well, I think there's many reasons for that. Sometimes we're just too busy. I think Satan wants to keep us from praying. But I think the main reason is simply unbelief. See, we're in some sense Christian atheists. We act as if God doesn't exist or... We're practical deists. We believe that God exists, but we think that He somehow takes His hands off this world and just lets it run, and He never intervenes. And therefore, we think that prayer really doesn't matter. We, we don't believe that God is listening to us and cares for us. We really don't believe that prayer changes things. And James says we couldn't be more wrong. Prayer makes a difference in this world. Because God makes a difference. And prayer is our lifeline to Him. Look with me at what James says here, beginning chapter 5, verse 13. He says this, Is anyone of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up, and if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, let me just say at the outset here, these verses are some of the most difficult to interpret in all of the Bible. And faith healers have wrongly used these verses to justify their existence. But I think the main point here is very clear. God wants us to pray. God wants us to pray, and prayer matters. Notice that James says, "In every circumstances in life, whether good or bad, we're to pray." In verse thirteen, he says, "Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy?" Let him sing songs of praise. See, James's response to hardships, to suffering in our lives, is to not simply say to us, well, suck it up, hang on, be patient, but for us to seek God's help through prayer. We're to stop and pray when we have troubles in life. We're to pray, Lord, my child is sick, and I need your help. I need your grace. Lord, I never thought that I'd be in such a difficult marriage, but I come to you for strength to help me respond in a godly way. Lord, I I never thought that I'd be coming to you with a, a, a broken heart over a child that's walked away from you, walked away from the Lord, but here I am. See, God wants us to come to Him with our troubles. He he wants us to act as if He really exists. See, think about what is happening in prayer. When we pray, we're recognizing the sovereignty of God over our lives, that He's in control, that He's working all things for our good. When we pray, we're recognizing the presence of God, That He's with us in the midst of our trials. When we pray, we're recognizing the power of God to act in our circumstances. When we pray, we're recognizing His love and His mercy for us. See, in the midst of trials, I think we're often tempted to believe that God isn't in control that he doesn't care, that he doesn't have the power to act, but prayer reminds us of our theology. Prayer reminds us of what we really believe about God. You know, Paul Tripp, who's a pastor, says this so well. He says, I am persuaded that there is no more radical act in the Christian life than prayer. To take your life and your circumstances and your family... And place them in the hands of someone you can't see, and you can't hear, and you can't touch is a radical act. It's there that you live your theology. It's there that we set ourselves from the rest of humanity that believes that if we can't see it or touch it, it's not real. Prayer invites you to embrace the reality of the existence of God and then rest and then rest. I think that's such a great quote. See, God wants us to act like He's real, and He wants us to place our lives in His hands so that we can rest. He wants us to believe that He's present, that He's at work in our circumstances, and that He wants to pour out His grace to His children. And so let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? Does your prayer life show that you believe that? You know, I wish mine did more. I I wish I prayed more than I grumble and I complain and I worry about my circumstances. Prayer is God's number one resource to us when we have troubles in this life. But prayer isn't just for times of crisis or discouragement. James goes on, notice, and he says, If anyone is happy, let him sing songs of praise. See, if you think about it, if this world is not the way it's supposed to be, if this world is marred by sin, how in the world does anything ever good happen in life? Well, it's because of the grace of God. Remember, James earlier had said, what well, every good perfect gift comes down from our heavenly Father from above. And the truth is, the reality is, is we don't deserve anything But all of us, all of us experience great blessings in this life. And ultimately, it's God who provides all of those blessings, everything for us. Even the very next breath that we'll take. And yet we so seldom give Him thanks. We so seldom acknowledge Him or praise Him. And so let me ask you, you know, do you ever just find yourself singing to him, kind of like we did this morning, because you're happy, because you're grateful, because you're just so overwhelmed with his goodness to you, that he saved you, that he's forgiven you, that he's blessed you in life in so many ways? You know, most of us in this room ought to be the most grateful people. We ought to be grateful. Do you ever just find yourself where you're singing to the Lord out of gratitude? It can be when we're alone or when we're in church. We can sing songs or hymns, old or new. Let you in on something. You know, Keith loves to go around the office singing old Amy Grant songs, okay? Because he's just so happy, so full of joy. He kind of had a crush on her in the 80s, just FYI. But the truth is is we can sing in the shower, in the car, in church, in tune, or out. It really doesn't matter. I guess it kind of matters to the person sitting next to you. but, But what matters is do we thank God? Do we praise God for His goodness? What matters is do we live as if He really exists? You know, one of the uh, resources that I use that I've found to be very helpful, to just help me to pray, it is a, a book that I found by a pastor named Scotty Smith. It's called Everyday Prayers. And, and in it, every day, he just kind of gives a little bit of a devotional and prayer. And, and I use his prayers to help me in my own prayer life. It's been a great resource. I would encourage you to get that book. But not only does God want us to come to Him in prayer, in trouble, and praise Him when life is good, but God also provides us resources in the church when we need help. Okay, so look with me at verse 14. James says this, Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Now, I think these verses sometimes make us a little bit nervous, right? This whole idea of healing, anointing with oil, things like that. But I think that James here is just simply reminding us that we we can't live the Christian life alone. We need others. And God specifically sets apart godly elders to care for His people, to care for His church, through prayer. Notice that that James says, if you're sick in a serious way, I'm going to talk about that, it's good to ask the elders to pray for you. You know, this week, I I had the opportunity to pray with a lady in, in our church. She's been a member for about a year. Last February, she was diagnosed with cancer. And hospice has been called in. She's probably, I think she's about three years older than I am. She can no longer make it to the services, but she watches online. And so she emailed me and said, Shay, could you just come and, and, and pray with me and serve me communion? Because I, I can't be there during the worship service. I said, I'd be glad to. So I went over and I prayed with her. A Stephen minister was there with me. And, and I thought, you know, I'm preaching on this passage. It would be just appropriate. And so what I did is I just took some oil and I put it across her forehead. And I prayed for her. It was a special time. Now, th- this passage about elders praying for people ha- has led to all kinds of abuse. It's led to faith healers. It's led to people praying for healing, and when God doesn't heal them, they think somehow that their faith is lacking, that their faith is defective, and therefore they try to work themselves up into a lather and just think, if I only believe, if I just believe hard enough, then God must heal me. It's led to people who aren't healed being disappointed and bitter with God. And so let me just, in the next few minutes try to help us understand this passage better. Okay, so first of all, how sick do you have to be before you call the elders? Well, the term sick means to be without strength, and it has in mind the idea of being almost bedridden, unable to work, very discouraged, without hope in your circumstances. See, James here isn't suggesting that the elders are are to be called for prayer for things like ingrown toenails, or, you know, we've been sore muscles, we've been working out too hard. No, no, no. But this is a resource. There may be times in your life when you feel led by God and you'd like the elders of a church to gather with you and to pray for you in a special way. It also says here that the elders are to pray over this person and to anoint them with oil. And so what's the significance of that? Well, there's nothing magical about olive oil. And most likely it's a symbolic action action picturing setting apart that person to the Lord for his special care. But I think it's also true that oil in the first century was used as medicine on wounds. And so what I think that James is saying here is that we should pray for a person to be healed. We should believe that God can heal someone through prayer. But prayer doesn't replace medicine. Prayer doesn't replace medicine. That might seem obvious to you. We live in a medical community. But... It's interesting how many times you hear in the news of people who make that mistake. Usually at the expense of their own children. See, God gifts doctors and he uses them to bring about healing. I think that that is how God works most of the time. But James here says, don't forget to pray. Don't forget that the God who made the universe can heal people. He can do that. He also says that if a person is sick and has sinned, he will be forgiven. See, we're told that when someone is seeking physical healing, that person must examine his or her heart and look for sins and confess their sins and renew their relationship with God. See, sickness can be very good for us spiritually. We don't think that way, but when we're sick, we realize how fragile we are and how dependent we are on God for everything. You know, when we're healthy, we think, well, we're in charge of our lives, we don't need God, but sickness often brings us back to reality. Now, when we get sick, is it always because of some sin in our lives? Well, no, not necessarily. In fact, remember in John 9, a man born blind is brought to Jesus for healing, and his disciples ask Jesus, you know, who sinned, this man or his parents? And remember what Jesus said? He said, neither. He said, this man was born this way so that God could be glorified. See, many times the reason we're sick is not because of some sin. And so let's don't over-spiritualize sickness, illness, the way Jesus' disciples did. But sometimes sin can be the cause of our physical illnesses. We all know that. We don't need a, a doctor to tell us that. Worry. Overwork because we've made money an idol and we never take time for a Sabbath. Anger. Alcoholism. List of sins could go on and on and on. All of these things can have an effect on our bodies. Our physical issues are often caused by our spiritual issues. That's what's our our, our physical issues are caused by our spiritual issues. The things that are going on in our hearts. And the truth is, is that there's nothing better than we can do to, than to just simply get right with God. To get at peace. With him, And so that's what James is saying here. Whenever sickness idles us, it's good to examine our hearts and to confess our sins and to repent of our sins, whether they're the cause of our illness or not. But then finally, in verse 15, James says this, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. And so the question is, what does that mean? Because it almost seems like James is guaranteeing physical healing if the elders just pray with enough faith or if the person prays with enough faith. Okay, let me just remind you of a a couple very important things. First of all, don't forget that it's God who numbers our days. It's God who numbers our days. Everyone will eventually die. No amount of faith will ever deliver us from that. The most faithful of disciples, they all died. Think about that. They're all dead. But secondly, remember James has just said in an earlier passage, we looked at this a few weeks ago, that if the Lord wills, what? We will go to this city or that city and make money. Jesus himself prayed, Lord, take this cup from me, but not as I will, as you will. Paul asked for a thorn in the flesh, some physical ailment to be taken from him, but it wasn't God's will. See, we always pray in submission to God's will. And some Christians don't die well because they can't believe that maybe it's not God's will to always heal them. Christians should be the ones who die the best, right? But sometimes they don't. But we don't always know what's best for us and what God's plan is for us. See, one of the beautiful truths is, is that God does not answer our prayers as we always pray them, but as we would pray them if we were wiser, if we knew what He knew. Sometimes He answers our prayers better than we pray them. You know, have you ever wanted something that you thought would be good for you? Maybe a job or to marry a certain person. You you know, you thought it would be good for everybody around you, and if you had gotten it, it would have been awful. Ever have that happen to you? Ever pray for something that you thought would be best, and now you look back on your life and you're thankful that God didn't answer your prayer. We always pray, Lord, I want you to heal me, but not my will, but your will be done because I know you know what's best. You know what's best. I trust you with my life, even if that means that you're going to take me home to be with you in eternity. Because the truth is, a thousand years from now, A million years from now, when in heaven we've been walking with Jesus, we've been walking with our Savior, we're going to look back on this life and and we're probably going to pray, God, I'm so glad that you didn't heal me. This life is just a dot. But eternity goes on forever. My guess is, is we'll be thankful for that. And so the question then is, what does verse 15 mean then when it says that the Lord will heal? Well, I think it's saying that the Lord will heal all people sooner or later. Think about it. Some people rise from sickness in this life after the elders have maybe prayed for that person, the elders who believe that God can heal. And sometimes during those times, God may give an assurance to the elders or to the person being prayed for that He's going to heal them. That's very rare, but sometimes I think it could happen. Or He may choose to heal on the very last day when He gives us our new resurrected bodies. Either way, God heals all those who believe in Him. God heals all people who believe in Him. But the truth is, what I want you to see is God may choose to heal you this side of heaven. And so it's important that we pray for one another. When someone else is sick, we need to pray for them. But notice also verse 16, he says this, he says, we need other people to help us in the Christian life. We need others to help us to grow spiritually. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and it's effective. See, we need other Christians. We need others in our lives who we can trust, who we can go to, and who we know will pray for us. And the reality is, is we're all sinners. No one in this room has it all together. And so it's good for us to share our struggles with others and to seek their help and their wisdom and their prayers and their accountability so we're not alone in the Christian life in our struggle against sin. And so let me ask you, who knows you? Who really knows you? What's going on in your life? So they can encourage you and pray for you. And finally, James ends with this this great reminder about prayer. He says, the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And we don't think that prayer matters. We kind of live these naturalistic lies as if God doesn't exist. And James says, no. In fact, let me give you an example Verse 17, he says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, if we're honest, when we hear the name Elijah, we think, yeah, okay, great prophet. It's Old Testament stuff. Sure, God answers Elijah's prayers, But I'm not Elijah. But if you notice, it says Elijah was a man what? Just like us. Just like us. That's the point. Elijah at times had great faith, and other times he struggled with fears and depression. Elijah wasn't special. He was just simply a man who prayed. The power in Elijah's life wasn't Elijah, but it was God. He was a man who believed that God answers prayers. He believed God for great things. And when we come to God in prayer, when we come to God in prayer through faith, amazing things will happen in our lives and in the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that truth? You know, Kevin DeYoung, he says this. He says, if we're not often praying, we must consider why not. Is it because we do not have great needs in this body? Is it because we do not have fears and sins that beset us? Is it because there is no opposition in the world which threatens to snare us or no devil on the prow who seeks to destroy Is it because we are so sure of ourselves and so self-reliant that we need no divine assistance? Or is it because we consider help from God to be so negligible that it is not worth our time to ask for it? Do we not think that God listens when we pray? Do we not think that He cares? Do we not think that He's able to give us grace in our time of need? See, James says when we're troubled or happy, sick, or sinful, our Heavenly Father wants us to come to Him in prayer. And we can't have a sermon on prayer. We can't think about prayer without thinking about Jesus, without thinking about our Savior. It's because of Him. It's because of what He did for us that we now have a heavenly Father who we can go to, who loves to give good gifts to His children, to those who ask Him. It it was because of Jesus that He lived the life that we all know that we should live. And He died a death that we know we deserve for our sins that enables us to come to the Heavenly Father. It's because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It enables us to come into the throne room of grace and find mercy in our time of need. And the Lord's Supper is just simply a a reminder of that great truth to us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took some bread and he prayed. He gave thanks. He broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. In the same way, he took some wine and he poured it out into a cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant that is poured out for you. Take and drink. Today, if you're believing the gospel, If you're looking to Christ and Christ alone for your forgiveness as your Savior, and if you're living a life of repentance, if you're confessing your sins to God and making peace with Him, then Jesus invites you to come and to take part in this meal. As usual, There's five aisles. I think there's 13 stools down here in front. There'll be stools right there in the back as well. And so whenever you're ready, you can just simply come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it into the wine that we'll have in the goblet in our hand, or you can dip it in the grape juice that'll be in front of us on the stool. When you come, you don't need to say anything. But we'll say a word of encouragement to you to help you to continue to believe the great promises of the gospel. Also, uh, there's some baskets right up here on stage with white cloths in them and all of the money that's given during communion will go to help people with their physical needs here in our church as well as in our community. Would you pray with me? Lord, it's amazing that the creator of the universe invites us into his presence. The God who cares for us, who listens to us, who responds to us, invites us to pray. Lord, we don't deserve that. We don't deserve that grace. But we thank you for Christ. Lord, help us to be a church. Help us to be a people who aren't self-sufficient, but who pray. Who depend upon our Heavenly Father, who loves to pour out His grace on His children. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.